Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360, the podcast solving today's most pressing issues in the AI arthritis community. We invite you all to the table, where together we face the daily challenges of autoimmune and autoinflammatory arthritis. Join our fellow patient co-hosts as they lead discussions in the patient community, as well as consult with stakeholders worldwide to solve the problems that matter most. Whether you are a loved one, a professional working in the field, or a person diagnosed with an AI arthritis disease, this podcast is for you. So pull up a chair and take a seat at the table. Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360. This is the official talk show of the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis, or AI Arthritis for short. My name is Tiffany Westridge-Robertson. I'm the CEO of the organization, but I am also a person living with these diseases. I am most recently diagnosed with axial spondyloarthritis, the non-radiographic sort, and a smithering of other things. But I'm not alone. Today, I have two fabulous co-hosts with me, and I'm so excited. Two of my most favorite people in the world, uh, Cheryl Cohen and Martin DeWitt. Hello, you both. How are you? Hello. Hello. Shout out to you and Martin. Nice to be here, Tiff. It is an international international table today. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm coming to you, no surprise, from rainy Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Our forests are very happy to have some liquid sunshine. <laughs> and for a change, we have very sunny days today, and that's very welcome after a period which has been very wet, to be honest. Ah, well, today is the first day that it feels like it's starting to cool down. So it sounds like we're all experiencing some change here in the season. So I wanted to let you each just say hello and to tell a little bit about yourselves. So Cheryl, let's start with you. Sure. So I'm Cheryl Cohen, as you said, and I too am a person living with an autoinflammatory disease, an autoimmune disease called rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, I'm sure Many of your listeners, Tiff, know all about it. I've been challenged by the disease for the last 31 years, so I would consider myself a bit of a veteran. And I've been very involved as both a volunteer and a paid staff member in the arthritis community almost the full length of that 31 years. But I think mostly, like you, I'm a bit of a research junkie. I love working with our research colleagues, not just here in Canada and clinical colleagues, uh, not just here in Canada, but around the world. And it's just such a good, um, it's a blessing in my opinion to be working with Dr. Duet. So I'm really uh, (laughs) excited to be here, not just with you, but also with Martin. So um, that's a little bit about myself. I live in Vancouver and I have a wonderful furry dog called Molly. She's my little companion. <laughs> and the name of and your organization. Oh, yeah. Just... Sorry about that. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> I am uh, really fortunate to uh, work for and with a whole pile of people here at Arthritis Consumer Experts. We're Canada's largest patient organization. We founded 21 years ago, and we really focus on taking the knowledge, working with researchers, generating knowledge 
and translating it into, you know, reader-friendly information, much like AIA does, Mm -hmm. and getting it out to the end user, people living with all forms of arthritis. So we have a a lean, mean team that uh, works together every day and, and does, I think, some really great and innovative work. Awesome. Thanks, Cheryl. And yeah. Martin. Yeah, um, I, I am really great and, and feeling feeling good to be here. Just to say I'm also a person with a rheumatic disease. I have psoriatic arthritis already for more than 40 years. And I think I am also a kind of research junkie, as Cheryl said. And actually, that started around 2000. And I, I, I clearly remember, as the day is yesterday, that I was invited to attend for the first time a rheumatology conference at the other half of the world. It, it was in Brisbane, Australia, for the Outcome Messages in Rheumatology Conference, which is also now known as the OMRACT. And that, that was in 2002. What I remember was the welcoming environment that I met researchers that were really willing to listen to patients. And in a way, that was something completely new to me, uh, to find health professionals and researchers that would not only educate, telling, instructing, but that were also really interested in listening to patient stories, asking questions, so, and that inspired me to become involved in research. And I think quickly after that, I got involved in ULAR, which is the, it now changed its name. So it's now the European Alliance of Rheumatology Associations. And the beauty of that organization is that it brings together rheumatologists, other health professionals, and patients. So it, it is an umbrella organization. And uh, I've been working with this organization for now almost 20 years. And they, they facilitated me already in 2005 to develop recommendations for collaborative research. And that was actually also my first active involvement in projects where patients got the opportunity to take the lead in developing guidance for collaborative research. So, and, and after that, everything was history. <laughs> but I'm now still involved in ULAR as the chair of the study group for collaborative research and now involved. And I really love doing that because I think there's also a need for developing an online training course for patient research partners. So I think we all really came a long way And that's the beauty also now of the pathway, because that is exactly showing and demonstrating what has been done and developed, not only, of course, in the States, in Canada, in in Europe, but it hopes really to bring together all the experience that we have. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And what a great transition to what are we talking about today? The pathway. And what is the pathway? So thank you for those great introductions, which also are going to lead us right into what we're talking about today, which is patient engagement in the rheumatology research space in particular, and the pathway of patient engagement 
in rheumatology research, which is a tool that was developed by a group called the Action Council, which myself, Martin, and Cheryl have been leading for the last couple of years now. I'll date this. This is this is 2021. And we'll get a little bit more into the, the Action Council and this pathway tool, which is really what we want to share with all of you, this very exciting, innovative uh, way to track the history of engagement and its evolution and hopefully become a wonderful tool for persons involved in this space to be able to build on past successes and really evolve into involving more and more patients and their voices in the research space. Also, I just wanted to circle back to Cheryl because when the whole idea of we need to log, we need to track this evolution. It came from, in part, myself and some other persons living with our diseases were at conferences. And these conferences sort of emerged in the decade of 2010 through, you know, mid to, well, of course it wasn't 2020. <laughs> As we know, conferences kind of went, wah, wah, you know, then. But at the time we were sitting there and and people were talking from different disease genres. They were saying, oh, here's a great example of what's working. There were terms, there were concepts of patient involvement being thrown around. Patient research partner, which we're going to circle back to as well, was one of them. And I knew what the definition was because Martin was lead author <laughs> on developing what that meant. And it happened in our rheumatology space. And But what was happening was people who were not in our rheumatology space were coining it with a different methodology. It w- w- did not mean to them an equal person on the research team. It was more of an advisor kind of role and it caused confusion. And it was sort of that aha moment where, oh my goodness, we need, if we're going to really evolve and build on all of this amazing work that's been done in the past, maybe we need to all start talking and, and putting a tool together. So at that time I went and I talked to Cheryl and we had been conversing for a few years, I think, by then. And then, Cheryl, you told me a story about, I asked you, how did you get started? Because I'm trying to look back in this history here and, and tell us a little bit about your kind of early days of how this all happened with you and, and patient collaboration. Sure. I think, Tip, like probably you experienced and many of us who've been kicking around arthritis research as a, through the patient perspective for a number of years, There's always a first meeting, like Martin just uh, discussed when he flew all the way to Brisbane and sat there and thought, oh, these are my people. Um, (laughs) I had that these are my people moment back in 1999, really dating myself here. And it was a meeting that was convened by the Arthritis Society, which is Canada's largest health charity, funding world-class research here in the country also developing programs and supporting people with arthritis like ourselves. And I went to this meeting and I had only been diagnosed for a few years there and was still really struggling to work with my healthcare team. This is back pre-biologic, pre-targeted small molecules. Like this is back in ancient therapy days. (laughs) Uh, Triple DMARD and getting an ACR20 was like a miracle, right? And I went to this meeting and I sat there, which, as you know, for three days is super uncomfortable, even with well-controlled disease. And uh, I heard all these new terms and this new language. And 
met all these people and they were really interested in what I had to say. I was one of the first people really ever to go to a meeting like this as a patient, as a consumer, as we call them at ACE, Arthritis Consumer Experts. And it was in the final plenary session. So the final session where we all came back together to report out on what happened this, you know, the two days uh, that preceded it. And people got up to give, you know, leadership, all clinical, by the way, all basic scientists, there were no patients that were up at that microphone at the dais. And they were talking about one person stood up and basically advocated for their niche. The next person stood up, advocated for their little niche. The next person, and so they were, it was super fragmented. The meeting goal was to chart the course for arthritis over the next decade. And all I could hear were people fighting for little bits of turf. And I thought, well, we're not going to get anywhere in 10 years. If all we do is pick at little amounts of money here and there and, you know, fight for our vested interests. And they closed the proceeding off. And I thought, this is BS. <laughs> so I grabbed the microphone from the person who was passing it around in this audience of several hundred. And I stood up and I said, I have something to say. And the person who she was chairing said, I'm sorry, we closed the proceeding. And I said, I'm a person with arthritis. You're not closing anything. <laughs> I was just, I bubbled over with kind of anger slash, you've probably heard this a million times, Tiffany, passion. Mm -hmm. And I let my voice of arthritis ring out. I was simply doing what probably five, four million people at the time wanted to do themselves. So I was just the big mouth at the meeting who said, <laughs> wait a minute, are you kidding me? I just devoted three days of my health energy to hearing these little frat. I thought we were coming up with the grand plan here, people. And I guess my voice was heard that day because the meeting organizers went away and a bunch of clinical researchers and basic scientists, not on, like a week later, called me up and said, we heard you loud and clear, and we are going to submit a grant to the federal government, and we're going to create Canada's first arthritis research institute, and you are going to play a pivotal role in it, your voice, and you're going to help galvanize other people like yourself. And I'm like, really? Okay. <laughs> you know, I was probably too dumb to say no or to walk away or whatever. Anyway, a year later, we were awarded $14 million from the Canadian government to create the Canadian Arthritis Network. And lip, you know, saying the rest is history is really true. They looked to me as the, mem the person with arthritis on the senior management team, Tiff, and said, okay, what should we do? And I said, well, one person out of you know, 5 million is not gonna tell you what to do. We need to create a council of people like me with varying disease diagnoses, with varying life experience from various ethnic backgrounds, and we created a, a group of people called the Consumer Advisory Council, volunteer group. And we were embedded as a direct report to the board to govern this research institute. And we created a model for consumer involvement. And that model was created back in the year 1999. That model has been the model that's been emulated in one way or another tip for the other models that have now sprung up across the country, either at the micro level, like at the project level, 
or at the institutional level and all of the stops in between. Exactly. Yeah, it's been an incredible journey. And, you know, like any journey, there's a start and there's never an end, which I think is what's so exquisite about the pathway. The pathway is the actual depiction of the journey of patient engagement and research. And it's just going to keep going and going and getting better and better. So that's sort of my experience in starting out here in Canada. I would I definitely using research terms was the N of one and quickly made myself an N of 10. And then, you know, and now we're, I bet you we're about a thousand people in this country who actively engage in arthritis research. That's outstanding. Thank you for that that history. And, and I really wanted to focus on sort of the history and the evolution and where this all started, because the pathway that we mentioned, it's we came together as this council. And so I'll start by mentioning this idea for this pathway, which is essentially an initial a framework, a first step. We want to really preface that, that this is this is the first time of coming together and putting all these initiatives together to trace the evolution of engagement in rheumatology research. It includes historical milestones, which include that OMRAC meeting, include the stuff, the things that, that Cheryl Wirtz is talking about. How did we start? And then novel firsts, So how pivotal moments built on each other so that we can trace that back and build on those successes and not duplicate efforts and then create evolution, create innovative new ideas that build on them. And as they start to branch off in different directions, we can really start to understand on a global level what everyone is working on and possibly even improve collaboration among one another and that, that patient voice. So the, the idea of this whole pathway emerged in part after talking to people like Cheryl and Martin. And so what happened was in 2017, AI Arthritis, the organization that I'm with, we put together a roundtable and we wanted to invite what we thought were the people at the table, the people in the trenches. We need to hear around the world what what people are working on, what terminology they're using, what concepts of patient involvement. And it was funny because I actually, at the time, didn't know Martin. I, I mean, I knew who he was. I totally remember that conversation, Tip. And you mentioned his name. I said, I know Martin. He'll definitely do it. So sorry, Martin, I set you up. To this. Well, it was, well, Florian Klett from ULAR, I had worked with and, and spoken with for quite a while and he was supposed to speak. And then he had a, a prior commitment. He goes, I have someone much better than myself. And uh, he he said, here's Martin and, and Martin, I have to give you kudos because here I am. I'm like, wait a minute, let me get this straight. So the person, one of the original people who started really the collaboration in Europe, one of the original people who started the collaboration in Canada and me. <laughs> How did I get so lucky? So, uh, but you both have really, really embraced the passion as we talked about earlier and, and helped me because I have also become a, a completely passionate and invested in research. And in part because of the pathway that you all have put in place so that people like me can. Now, you know, Tiff, I got, I think I can speak for Martin when I say it, it's not luck. 
you make your own luck and you work well thank you so hard to drive things in the united states and and through the foundation so you make your own luck lady and you've done a pretty darn good job of it well i i appreciate that thank you so i'm going to circle back here to martin after I, I make a couple points here about what this pathway is, and it, because I want you to tell us the official definition of patient research partner. So I'm going to circle back to you here in a minute. So this tool that we're talking about, this pathway of patient engagement, who was it created by? So we mentioned the Action Council and this roundtable that came about, this meeting where I finally began collaborating with Martin and, and Cheryl came on board. We put together a very thoughtful process, I think, of different stakeholders that, that that could come together and represent the different pivotal groups that have paved the way. And some of them were in rheumatology, but some of them not, because there are groups like the FDA, the EMA, <laughs> that that do research for for all, but the work that they have done we in the rheumatology community has been, have built on that. So we put together a group of different stakeholders, patient organizations, government, research leads, and pharma, pharmaceutical companies. And we all came together and we started to identify the history, sort of untangling <laughs> where we started and mapping this out. And I think very notably that this is a patient-led initiative. So not only did patients identify the need, but we are 70% of the persons on the Action Council are people living with rheumatic diseases. So that's who we are. And when I say we, and the pathway itself is a tool that lives online on a website. And the idea is that you can quickly identify existing projects, tools, guidance that has been established so that you you can build upon it, use it in your own projects. Uh, You can see different concepts of patient involvement. You can learn about those who are leading the efforts and identify potential collaboration opportunities. And it's a living resource. So the Action Council, we can only know what we know. (laughs) So we all came together and we put as many stops on the pathway as we could as a group as the first step. And now we're asking everyone else in the community to help us evolve from that. And I'm going to have Cheryl and Martin expand on that a little bit. But first, Martin... Can you tell us exactly what patient research partner (laughs) means? Because that really was the aha moment, honestly, when I was sitting at that conference where I said, well, wait a minute, people in different communities are using it differently. And if we're not using it the same, or at least there is knowledge, we're never going to be able to, to, to measure the value longitudinally. It's all going to be piecemealed together. And so tell us, tell us as the lead author, <laughs> what's the official yeah. definition? Well, well, it, it, it's funny that you say that because I think in retrospective, I think that might be one of the reasons that I immediately said yes when I was asked also to, to join the roundtable discussion because I this confusion, uh, and this is really in retrospect, I think like I had found earlier that outcomes that were measured on the American continent were different than the ones that they measured in Europe. 
So mm-hmm. I, I thought it, it would be really a shame if there would also be a kind of ocean divide in concepts of patient involvement that we in, in Europe or, or here do different in another way, have other definitions than on the American continent or even in Canada, which might be different from the US. So I thought this was a great initiative to step over these kind of boundaries and look for ways of collaboration between the different continents. And that's, of course, also something that we want to expand in the future. The concept of a patient research partner is really that patients can have an equal role in a research team, collaborating on an equal level with researchers and other stakeholders, not only in particular phases of a study at the beginning or at the end, not only when it comes to dissemination of findings, which many researchers think that they should expect from patients and patient organizations, but really being involved right from the start from formulating research questions and even before that, the conception of a research idea and think about what are the patient needs and which ones require further investigations till the very end where the research is done, evaluated and it's going to be published and implemented. So I think that that is really key for patient research partners that at every stage, they provide their experiential knowledge, but actually more than that, it is their experiential expertise into the, to the project with the ultimate goal, of course, to make the research more patient-centered and more fitting patients' needs and patients' daily life situations. And for me, and I'm very curious to hear about what your thoughts are, the ultimate proof of a patient research partner should then be that they are that they also become co-authors of the scientific publications. Because if they really have contributed equally, then it should be normal that they also are acknowledged as full participants in that paper. Does that answer your question, Tiff? Yes, and, and I and I agree with that. And you know, I have been, I have personally been involved as a patient research partner with Oberac, who you have mentioned, and then our own work at our organization, which the idea was to build on that concept and come up with. We we developed a concept called mentor assisted research, where I went to college courses and learned how to be a professional focus group moderator. But then we had professional researchers also helping to ensure that the research questions would equate the best analysis, but it was led by patients. And so it was still an equal, but really just taking on even a different role than maybe the traditional partner. And I agree. I I mean, uh, Cheryl, I know you've been co-author on several papers as well. And and I think that that is extremely important, important part of all of this. Yeah, I think for me, that's a, I don't even think about that anymore. There's no question about it because it's the moral ethical thing to do. The patient partner in research is bringing a tremendous amount of experience, insight, perspective, skill, 
I mean, living daily with arthritis, no matter the type, actually takes a lot of skill. And then to articulate the skill needed to live with the disease is absolutely integral to forming the question, devising the methodology to conduct the research, interpreting the results, and writing it in a narrative form. It's absolutely fundamental in my view. I think the only addition or the only edit I would make to Martin's definition is in the beginning, Martin, you said patient partners can be involved. They should be involved, right? And I know you believe that too, but I'm yeah, such a, that, that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah, I'm such a stickler for language, right? Those words really matter at the end of the day. And the other only other thing I would add for people out there like us who want to be involved and do become involved and have worked hard to have a say at the management level of arthritis research, which is critical. One of the things we fought for in the Canadian Arthritis Network was to be explicitly named as a line item in the budget because it's very easy to disappear something when it's not there in words, in black and white on a spreadsheet. So I will say to all of our colleagues out there who are fighting to be a part, a meaningful part of research, that budget is attached to that effort. And getting budget, maintaining it and growing it in a responsible way and managing it in a responsible way is really important to sustaining our effort. Just like in research, the patient engagement, patient researcher model has to be strategic, it has to be scalable, and it has to be sustainable. And for me, that's sort of the rule that we use in our own organization. How is it strategic? How is it scalable? And how is it sustainable? These are really pivotal sort of boxes to tick off as you begin building your own model or modifying it from something they see or find on the pathway. Um, so I don't know if you guys agree with that, but certainly that has been part of our secret sauce of success, I think, here in Canada, if, if you could call it success. And now we see a whole body of research that's been funded by our primary health research funder here, the Canadian Institutes of Health Research. They have a whole protected or gated area of funding on patient-oriented research. And the federal government is committed to not just holding that gate up, but reinforcing it. And that way the money is there, stays there. And a lot of us advocates fought for that over, over many, many years. So anyway, I'll just mm-hmm. stop there. Money's well, no, important. that's that's a good that's a good transition back to yeah. we want to talk, you know, we wanna we wanna talk about the importance of this tool that that we're introducing you to. And and the reason that we talked a lot about the history and our experiences and of what we've been doing is because it really serves as the rationale of why we created this pathway. You know, you you mentioned the patient-oriented research, Cheryl, and that is a good example of a government creating a concept of patient involvement that all persons can follow. But then what's really amazing about the pathway, we track those, but then we show how we have adapted those in our community because the people living with our diseases have very unique challenges. And that is something to consider when you're creating your projects. Also, we have really, as a, as a community, 
been pivotal ourselves in creating the patient research partner, mentor associated research, like all of the work that that Cheryl, you and your group and, and many others in Europe and Canada and the United States have been really going full force in our space, our space. It's, it's to be celebrated. And people, if we're going to build Let's build within within our space and, and learn from each other. I'm going to turn it over to both of you to sort of give, I, I guess, your take on the importance of the pathway and what you would like people to know about it to take away. So I'm going to start with Martin. Yeah, uh, um, I, I fully agree. Also, what what, uh, what what you said before, patients have very particular skills that are needed if you set up and design uh, research. I also agree with you, Tiff, that you say that there are still challenges for patients to be involved in research. And I think I also see this as one of the purposes of the pathway that these tools is, is also really meant to avoid tokenism in research and research initiatives. And I, I, I want to be honest, I think in reality and in practice, there is still regular tokenism. So specifically, you, you can, of course, make patient engagement mandatory. And I know many funders start making it mandatory, but that doesn't ensure that the involvement is sincere, it is meaningful. I think there are also examples of tokenism. And I think by now showcasing all the examples and the different concepts that are going around, it is also an instrument to make sure that newcomers in, in the area can learn from the past, from good examples. And we, we even really need to emphasize that we still lack maybe a, a kind of instrument or assessment which instruments are more promising, are more successful. They demonstrate better effectiveness and impact than others. So, and I think that we should also think about using the tool to find out what really works and what works less. But, but as a starting point, I think it's great to, to just have now these instruments where, where everybody can find and easily search for different concepts in different contexts. And it's a, a very user-friendly instrument because it, we, we have really tried to think about how to search for projects. So, so I, I think that's the value of it. Thanks, Martin. Cheryl, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I just want to, before I add a few little things to what Martin has said, I just want to go back to this point he made about tokenism, which is so, so important. In our organization, and I agree with you, Martin, that making it mandatory is not a panacea. You know, it does not deliver uh, authentic or meaningful or value-based or moral or ethical engagement of patients, but it's necessary so how do you make mandatory patient engagement in, in calls for proposals? Uh, all of those things I just mentioned. And 
uh, while I hate to place burden on the patient community because we're already burdened enough, we're volunteering, we're living with our disease, we're trying to run our families, we're trying to walk our dogs, we're trying to earn an income, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it is important that we safeguard against tokenism. And a couple of tips that I would like to share, and probably many of you are listening, kind of already do this, but I think it's just good to say it. Because there are a lot of people coming into this, a lot of people, consumers, arthritis patients who are coming into research new, right? That's the whole idea of the pathway is to build, is to have experienced people help us build it out. It's for people who are kind of in the mid journey phase of that pathway, quickly access something in the pathway and make it their own. And then someone who's in the very early stages of their engagement, learn. It's a a place for learning the pathway. And this is uh, the tokenism piece. We really need to ensure that it's meaningful, our engagement. And so how do you safeguard against tokenism? Well, if you get a call or an email and the deadline to submit the proposal is tomorrow and they're desperately asking for your name and organizational signature on it, we have a one-strike policy. That's the strike, you're out. We had no knowledge of the project. We were not involved in any of the early discussions about the project. Sometimes projects do arise quickly, but you get a spidey sense of whether it's authentic or not, right? That's absolutely true. Right. That is not authentic. And I encourage people as much as they want to be involved, that is a no. And if you say yes, and there are enough people saying yes, it's a slippery slope then they just use your name and an organizational affiliation to meet the requirement that the funder states about patient engagement. So that's just one quick way. And it could be you're contacted a month in advance, but the proposal's well-developed. The research team is there. You're not offered. They say you're going to be a collaborator, not a co-author, not a co-investigator. That's another clue. If This is about power sharing. If we're not given the power title, you're not going to have power in the project. That's my guideline. You know, if I'm not respected with the same title, with the same designation, it's a clue that I'm not going to have the same type of participation that I would envision I should have. So those are two little handy tips to ensure against tokenism. And I thank you, Martin, for raising that point. It's it's absolutely fundamental. And then I think I'll just go back and say, Tiff, I described how I view the pathway. And that is for a learner, great place to learn. You know, someone's just dipping their toe in. Is the water warm? Is it cold? Do I want to put a wetsuit on and get involved? <laughs> or am I going to go back to the gym and stay on dry land? And But for those people who are Patients like us, consumers like us who want to be involved, who actually are taking the next step to provide leadership within our patient community, that is the home. The pathway is a home. It's like a shopping list for engagement. It's just a great place to find models, mini models, big models, in-between models that will help kickstart the process. I think one of the reasons, Tiff, you uh, this was ideated by yourself, by your group, is, you know, you wanted to save people time. It's really simple. You wanted to save mm-hmm. people time and aggravation and energy. 
in recreating something that had already been used effectively in some other setting. And I think, Martin, you have brought to this timeline, this pathway, such incredible insight about the environment in which a model is used and how it's not a one-size-fits-all and that how they can, how models can be malleable and can be adapted to different research environments, you know, whether it's a consumer-funded driven project. And yes, that's real research, by the way. It doesn't have to be funded by a highfalutin government-funded agency or health charity. You can pull together a group of friends and fund your own project if that's what you decide to do. It's called community-led, community-based research, and it can be statistically significant and valid and published. Doing it with a research partner, someone in an academic institution makes it a little easier. But I, I just think that's the two of you brought this idea of saving time and energy and making models malleable and giving people, putting these things all together in one place. So for me, that's the pathway. I've already used it a ton. I've already directed a lot of people who come to us and say, hey, how do I learn? The pathway is an incredible resource for everyone, researchers, clinicians, basic, government. It's it's a it's a real handy dandy tool, folks. Go check it out. <laughs> that, that should be the slogan, the handy yeah, dandy. It's tool. a handy dandy tool. <laughs> Well, you know, I just I I, I want to I want to kind of rein all this in and and encourage everyone who is listening, if you are involved or interested in being involved, like Cheryl said, it's it's something for there's something there for everyone in the different levels of expertise that that you're in. Please check this out. You can find it at roomactioncouncil.org, and then you just can click on the link to the pathway, and you can also find us on social media and the tag is room council, R-H-E-U-M council. But the things that I really wanted to, to point out, I wanted to add on to, to what was said to this, this idea of tokenism. And, and, you know, I, I take furious notes when I, <laughs> this is my, these are my notes. So anyone who's listened to the show, this is, this is kind of what I do. It's it, but you know, that the whole idea of the, the tokenism. And again, that, that is when there's a grant, there's an ask, there's a project that's supposed to have the patient voice on there. And it's kind of the box is checked and the patient really isn't so much involved. We really do hope that this tool will help not only negate that aspect, but perhaps let's give some people the benefit of the doubt. Let's say they just don't know how to engage the patient. And that's how the tokenism ends up happening. So we really hope that this tool will help people who really just don't know find some good examples. Plus, find those organizations who are doing it. Reach out to them. Look at their examples. And I and I also want to make it really clear, this is just the initial pathway. The information that's on here is the is the skeleton, the framework, the first pass, if you will. And we are continuously looking to add more pivotal. That's an important part of this. There are pivotal pieces. Once we get the pivotal milestones there, then we can start to build the case studies. We can start to see as it branches off into the different evolutions and the different directions, which is important because if we don't come back and, and untangle where we've been, 
we'll never fully be able to build on all of the amazing work that that Martin and Cheryl and and many many before me <laughs> those entering it in the last in the last decade are able to do. So please check out check out the pathway. There are lots of opportunities to build this. I think that we've already talked about it a lot here. There are videos on the website that give you more details about what this tool is, how it evolved. There are directions how to use it. There are glossaries that are part of this that you can also search for in addition to the pathway that will give you more information on how to find context of research, the, the tools for patient involvement, the the concept and the organizations and groups behind it. But we can only build this as we all come together as a community. So we definitely hope that you'll do that. Martin, Cheryl, do you have anything else that you would like to add? No, only that. Well, I guess, yes, if I'm going to say something. (laughs) No, but. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes. Everyone who's listening, what Tiff just described is the Disneyland of patient engagement in rheumatology research. You have got to go to this incredible tool. It is for people like us who are super interested and passionate about being involved in research. It is like Disneyland. It's amazing. So go check it out. <laughs> yeah, I, I fully agree with that. And I think it, it's real. I just want to end with, with saying that it's all about partnership. And I think you asked me, Tiffany, for the definition of patient research partner. Mm-hmm. It, it is the word partner which is there. And I think for building really to avoid tokenism and building successful methods and models for, for engagement, that requires partnership. And that is between people. And, and I've experienced it in building the pathway. We, we all experience partnerships in the projects that we are doing. But I must say, I always have appreciated working with the two of you, but also with the team, specifically Tiffany, that you have brought together. And let's be honest, you have been the driver of the of the pathway. <laughs> you have done all the work and uh, we have provided input. We, we have reviewed a lot of documents, but, but let's be honest, you have been the one who, who, who really make it a reality. And thanks for that. I've always uh, enjoyed your enthusiasm <laughs> and that also inspired me to stay involved and really looking at the, for, uh, at, the, at the future. I hope that your call will be heard and that, that many people will start sending in their products because they want to be part of the pathway. They want to be in here and, and they want also to provide others to learn. So I, I really hope that if you can find anything in the pathway and you know that it is there, please let us know and send in your applications, your best practices, your learnings, and also your failures. We will find a way to put them in the pathway. Yes. So thanks, Tiffany, for that and for guiding us. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I think that's a really good good point to sort of end on this with, you know, kind of what's next for <laughs> for the pathway. As we said, this is the first pass. This is the initial pathway. And then as we grow, as people submit, and this could be any stakeholder group. If you are a patient, if you are a person who has been involved, 
case studies are fabulous. If you have testimony of, of how powerful it was for you, same as a researcher or an industry partner, if you have experiences of failures as well, because I always say there's no such thing as a true failure, it's a learning moment. And so those also could be highlighted. There's many ways that we can go. That's why it's a pathway. That's why we chose not to call it a timeline, because it really is about branching off and learning and evolving. And there's it's an unlimited amount of paths that we can go in our in our village. That's how we started this whole thing with the with the the village that you had said, Cheryl, in the very first meeting. That it takes a village and it it certainly does. Well I've already got a thought for a lane, a new laneway. And I'll hold that for a cliffhanger for a next oh, episode. Oh shoot. Okay. All right. Well, again, check out the pathway at roomactioncouncil.org. You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Room Council, R-H-E-U-M Council. And then for the show itself, you can find us at AIarthritis.org backslash talk show, where all of the episodes are there. And as we always say, the, the purpose of the show is to be informative, but also to bring all voices to the table, because only together can we change the stories of tomorrow. And we need you for this pathway to continue evolving that. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Martin. I love spending time with you all. So we'll also have information on how you can learn more about the organizations that they're involved with as well. So thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. AI Arthritis Voices 360 is produced by the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis. Find us on the web at www.aiarthritis.org. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and stay up to date on all the latest AI arthritis news and events. 